All right, it's episode 15, Pain Points of Wealth, and things have changed since we've been doing this podcast week after week. We've gone through the election. We have two vaccines that potentially have 90% plus efficacy. We can envision an economy that's going to reopen, and crazy enough, Bob and I warned you, we told you that you could see a stock melt-up going into the end of the year. Well, now we're here. Money's come off the sidelines and droves. Money managers are getting invested again. And the big question comes, is this it? Have we gotten the melt up? Now it's time to get to the sidelines, sit in cash. And we're also going to break down for you what you should be doing with your wealth plan right now, how you should be setting that up. We're going to give it all to you today. It's going to be a great show. So check it out. Let's hit it. Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod. Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. So Chris, all I've been reading in the financial news is we just had a mother of all stock rotations. I call it revenge of the nerds. When you go from the high growth stocks to cool stocks to own, you know, Tesla, Amazon, Netflix, and now the stocks that are going up are the kind of stocks my generation loves. Dividend paying, blue chip, boring stocks. I love it, man. The nerds are in. Yeah, Revenge of the Nerds is absolutely right, Dad. And, you know, coming from someone who was kind of a nerd in high school, from my perspective, it's a lot like the guys that had the varsity jackets and still wore those varsity jackets when they came back to their 20 year high school reunion. Whereas guys like me are, you know, a lot more successful and they're still living their high school glory days. Well, wait a second. I think Bob still wears that track jersey whenever he can. And we ran track guys, and there was nothing cool about track. <laughs> so Yeah, but you know what, Rye, I wear that t shirt now that my sister gave me that says, The older I get, the faster I was. That's true. I think you're like a sub four minute miler now, Bob. But you know, talking about that rotation and the mother of all rotations. It's kind of crazy because you had the old school Dow, talking about the old school, go up about 4% the other week. And meanwhile, the NASDAQ, which is all the hot stocks, actually go negative. But what's crazy about that, it's been 20 years since that happened before. That happened back in March of 2000 when the tech bubble burst. So I don't know if that's an omen, but it could be that time where we see finally those hot stocks being done with. Now, I don't know if it's the top. I don't have a crystal ball, but clearly you had a shift. Right, these stocks that benefit from the reopening of the economy have finally started to swing back to life. And the reality of it is, it makes sense, right? We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. It's like, okay, if the economy reopens, then yeah, we're going to fly more. Yeah, but you know what, guys? I think it's more than that. I think, you know, when you think about tech stocks, we've been hearing about them all the time. We made a killing in tech stocks, by the way, made a ton of money in the last 10 years. It's really growth has just way outperformed what it does historically, right? It's been historically normal average about 10% a year. We've seen 18% a year for 10 years. That's extraordinary outperformance. Now, meanwhile, even though the rest of the stock market, you know, the value companies, the small cap companies, which I call the nerds, they actually have done about average. They've been a little bit above average. So it's not so much that there are horrible performers. It's just that growth has been so ridiculously up over the last 10 years. It makes everything pale in comparison. And what we forget when you go back in time is when growth goes out of favor. And again, when we say growth, we're talking about Facebook, Amazon, Google. We're talking about the work from home stocks like Zoom, Peloton. The problem is when they go out of favor and they sell off, 
it ain't pretty. They get the mother of sell-offs when they do sell off, and that's where their performance comes down, you know, like a lead balloon. A little Led Zeppelin reference for you there, Chris. Yeah, and, and you know what, right? You know, for a little while you're getting a whole lot of love from those stocks. But here's the problem. The problem is right now, those FANG stocks make up 40% of the S&P 500. So the S&P 500 is capitalization weighted. So though, to your point, when this goes the other way, for some of you that are invested in the S&P, that could really be very damaging. So Chris, what you're saying is that the FANG stocks can get toothless at some point? You guys are so clever today that I don't know what to do. I mean, this is the most clever podcast we've ever done. Well, you know, the best part, Rye, you talked about it last week. There were 62 dividend increases, large cap growth, you know, mega tech stocks don't pay dividends. And if they do, it's very, very little. So it, it's really, I think what this really points to is what something that Chris, you've talked about every week on the podcast. And so have you, Rye. It's about diversification, having different eggs in your basket, not having all your eggs in one basket. And I think this just speaks volumes of why you need to be diversified because no one can predict when each of these categories is going to outperform. All we know is at some point they will. Well, that's right. And I think right now we've seen the bullishness or people's love for stocks has gone up a lot in the last couple of weeks. All of a sudden the election's over. We have this good vaccine news and investors are like, they're getting really, really excited. And they think, you know what? I'm going to get diversified. I'm going to buy that S&P 500 because that's 500 stocks. That's got to be diversification. But Chris, going back to what you just said, it's not. <laughs> you know, you're getting tricked. Right now, just buying that, you're just buying a big tech index and you're going to miss the boat on this whole economy reopening because the S&P is not representative of that. Well, you know what's funny about that, Rye? Up until this point, I've had quite a few clients that I've talked to saying to me, hey, Chris, you know, the growth stocks are really going up. Why don't you guys just add more money into growth? That's what's going to win here. I mean, you know, you guys are owning international, you're owning value, you're owning pipelines, real estate. Why don't we just put more money into growth? Why don't we just overweight? It's so simple. Yeah, it is simple until it doesn't work, right? Remember, the market doesn't care about valuation until suddenly it does. And that's when it gets smacked in the face with your portfolio being down. And you know what, guys? You know what I love the most about the stocks that are rallying now, whether it be value stocks or small company stocks or international or real estate, is they pay dividends. And we're going to get a big check in about 30 days from the quarterly dividends. And it doesn't matter that the stocks are up or down. Remember what I always say? The only institution that cares about how much you paid for an investment is the IRS. Everything else is about making cash flow and total return. It's absolutely all about cash flow, but just go back for a second there about valuation, right? We hear that term a lot, valuation. What does valuation mean? But what it means is basically, you know, you might be thinking to yourself, well, come on, Apple is going to be a great company for years to come. So is Amazon. They're not going anywhere. That's true. But the problem is so many great years have already been priced into that stock. So the stock is already trading at a high valuation, meaning it's already trading based on years and years ahead of all the great things that can happen with those companies. So it's kind of like, it's not if your forecast is good for those companies, it's whether the market's already priced it in or not. Well, I'll tell you what really brings it all home for me. Um, I had dinner this week with a couple of clients. And one client just said to me, Bob, the market is hitting almost 30,000. How can this thing go up with all this horrible news? You know, how's that possible, Chris, that we have all this horrible news and the market's making an all-time record high? Well, first of all, Dad, I'm a little concerned about you going out to dinner with people. I thought you're supposed to be socially distancing. Well, they sat at one table and I sat at another. <laughs> Chris, we know dad can't help himself. You know, he's a social animal. Well, first of all, guys, it's not me. You know, it's not me. 
mom does like her social activities. But, you know, dad, you always said to us, you know, when we were growing up as kids, telling us great, great fairy tale stories, but you always told us that time passes and markets operate. So, you know, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if something's down 10% in a year. You just have to own it. It's the person who has the most shares wins. Yeah. So I think to wrap things up, what you want to ask yourself as an investor right now, the question you want to ask is, what is the world going to look like post-COVID? After all, the stock market's not a bet on today. It's a bet on the future. You know, it's such a great point, Rod, because anyone who sold out in October because they were afraid of a lockdown or because their candidate wasn't going to get elected, they got whipsawed. And you know what we learned? We learned one thing again, that the market is forward looking. We talk about that all the time, right? Because society is great at adapting and overcoming challenges, including pandemics, as we just found out. So I guess what we're trying to say here, guys, is that the dust never settles. There is never certainty, even though we're always looking for it. It's never going to be there. So I guess the bottom line is you don't have to invest in what's cool. You just have to be invested. It's the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. So Bob, in honor of the fact that you just moved into a new condo in Naples, Florida, which Chris and I are going to use as liberally as possible until you and mom kick us out. Process hasn't necessarily been the smoothest, even by the drilling sounds we hear in the background as we're trying to record this podcast. So I thought we could discuss how moving into a new home is similar to building a solid financial plan. Well, Rye, I have great news. You know, all these articles we get about the millennials moving back in with their baby booming parents living on the basement sofa. Well, I don't have a sofa. There's no couch. Chris, there's no place for you to come and crash, you know, when you have to move back in mom and dad's house. Chris, our safety net has been taken from us. <laughs> <laughs> well, as of the recording of this podcast, I'll be coming down next week for uh, the Thanksgiving holiday, so I'll be sure to bring my own folding chair, Dad. Who'd have thunk you couldn't get the couch up the elevator at a condo? Wow, somebody should have thought of that. Well, and this is a good point because when it comes to moving and it comes to making sure you're organized for that move, you know, a lot of it is just labeling everything you have, putting it in the right boxes and knowing where everything is. And I think that's similar to your investments. Like if you don't know where all your investments are, you don't know what they actually are invested in. Like all these things really need to be dissected so you have a real clear picture of how all your money's allocated, no matter where it is. Yeah, exactly, guys. When I'm moving in with boxes, you want to make sure you put them in the right room so you're not unpacking a box that belongs you know, somewhere else. You want to make sure it's labeled. It's like your portfolio. You have to know what you own. You have to know why you own it. Because now, Chris, how many times did your clients call in the last year saying, I want to get out of the market? And you're scratching your head saying, well, which market are you talking about? Yeah, exactly right, Dad. Like, I'll give you a great example. Up until the pandemic hit back in March, I had so many people calling me asking me, well, why do we own these bonds? You know, they don't pay very much. It costs a lot to buy them. And as soon as the pandemic hit, when the only thing in their portfolio that was profitable, I said, hey, do you remember when you asked me why we own these bonds? Well, here's the reason. We're going to take some profits and we're going to buy back into the market when it's low. Absolutely correct, Chris, because there, it's a great example of knowing what you own. And a bond is something that is negatively correlated. What's that mean? It means it goes up and down differently than the rest of your financial assets. It's different than your cash. It's different than your real estate. It's different than your stocks. So the whole idea of diversification, which we talk about ad nauseum on this podcast, is making sure you have lots of different eggs in your basket. You don't need a lot of different baskets. You need a lot of different eggs. That means a lot of different investments. And boy, oh boy, do you need to have to understand how they work and how they operate and make sure they're labeled properly in your total financial plan. Right. And we talked about that earlier in the show today, this mother of all rotations. All that means is you had stocks that benefited from the fact that the economy was shut down, 
that did great, like your Pelotons, your Zooms, and so on and so forth. But now as the economy reopens, you want to have those stocks in your portfolio that benefit from a reopening. I mean, I always like to talk about those cruise stocks because I know Chris just dreams about literally getting on a cruise and eating those all-you-can-eat buffets. I make that joke every week. But the point is like, you need to have the money there already. You can't anticipate and wait for these things to happen because you just don't know. And that's why it's so important to do an inventory of everything you own now to make sure you're not overweighted in any one area. I'm sorry. I can't let that pass, Chris. You know, At least you're not your brother sitting on his girlfriend's Peloton watching Netflix all day, right? I mean, at least you're planning a cruise. Yes. My girlfriend bought a Peloton. <laughs> well, the funny part about that statement, Rye and Dad, is I've never been on a cruise in my life and I have absolutely no intention of ever going on one. But to Ryan's point, I had somebody call me up a couple of weeks ago to say, hey, I need to get some money out of my portfolio. Where are you going to take it from? And my recommendation is let's take it from your large cap growth. That's where we have the most profits. Oh, no, no, no. That's doing really well. We don't want to take out of that. Take it out of something else. Well, look at where we are today. And you know what, guys? That's just a spectacular point because you go back you know, when the market was in the deepest, darkest days of the pandemic slide, right? We went down 35% in five weeks. I had a really good friend of mine, good client call me and said, Bob, I need $2 million to buy a business. You need to sell my portfolio. I said, I got a better idea. Since you have high quality bonds and you have high quality stocks, you can borrow against the portfolio. And we borrowed at one and a half percent. So our client could buy a new business and not have to disturb the portfolio or panic and sell when everybody else was losing their head. It all comes down to knowing what you own and knowing that it's high quality. And well played there, Bob, on the financial engineering, right? That's where good financial planning comes into place. Chris and I didn't think you still had it in you. So impressive. The other thing to think about too, because I'm a lazy man, is using that dolly when you're actually packing up and you're moving things for leverage. And you know, there's good leverage and bad leverage. And when it comes to building a solid financial plan, you know, to me, good leverage is you know, contribute to your 401k if you get a match. That's free money. You know, what kind of tax benefits can you take advantage of with your portfolio? You know, optimizing your portfolio for taxes are just little things that you can do or little tweaks that you can do that essentially put more money in your pocket long term. And you know, all those little things that you can do to make your portfolio better have a huge impact down the line positively for you. Chris, I've never seen Ryan use a dolly. I mean, he might delegate somebody to use a dolly. I chip off the old block, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) It's the same difference, Dad. Using a dolly, delegating. I mean, what's the difference? It's all making it easier on Ryan. You know, I think the point that's really important here is that financial planning is about the small things that you do. It's not about buying low and selling high. It's not about the portfolio. That's just like the end result. It's putting that plan together. It's the little nickels and dimes you pick up along the way, you know, by doing your in-service distribution correctly, by doing the tax swaps that we did back in March and April so that when you're taking gains now, you're not paying a big bill to the IRS. Yeah, exactly, Dad. And here's another thing. How about saving costs on the internal fees of your funds? You know, I have a lot of people that say to me, hey, Chris, you know, I'm only paying 1% on my funds. Well, you know, if you can cut that by 90% on a $2 million portfolio, you know, that's almost $20,000 a year. I don't know about you guys, but I don't have an additional $20,000 a year to throw out the window. I might be able to buy a couch, Chris. We can all put some money into Bob's couch fund so we can live comfortably down in Naples, Florida. But you know, it's not just about you. It's about your children and your grandchildren. You know, you have a lot of kids that are just millennials, Chris, a lot of younger millennials that are just starting their job and they can't max their 401k because they're too busy paying rent or paying mortgage or paying a car payment. You know, this is where parents and grandparents, you know, can do things that really give an assist to your children and grandchildren by gifting money now so that they can take advantage 
of 401ks and HSAs and different ways to save, you know, don't make them wait until you're 90 or 100 years old till they benefit, you know, from all the wealth that you've created. Yeah. And on the other side of the equation, being a baby boomer or Gen X, instead of focusing on, do you think Tesla is going to go higher or Tesla is going to rebound here? Again, thinking about all these little tax savings, like you just mentioned, Bob, a health savings account. You know, that's a deduction. You can get up front to put money into an account where the money can go tax-free forever if you set it up correctly. So knowing about these things and utilizing them are just so much more important than having a good stock idea. You know, <laughs> like at the end, usually your stock ideas aren't that good anyway. Well, I just think, Rye, you should get off that Peloton and buy a Tesla and get down here and visit your old man. Bob, Chris, and I now have spent a collective 70 years helping individuals just like you with their planning and investing. This is literally what we do every single day. Everything we teach you here on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000 saved for retirement and you want a more hands-on approach and guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click on the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on the right path to achieving financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. All right. It's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. Bob, when a Democrat takes over the presidency from a Republican, which we're not saying happened yet for the record, the average cycle return has been 43.6%. That ain't bad. No, it ain't bad, Ryan. It uh, beats a sharp stick in the eye. But I'll tell you what, it shocks everyone to find out that a market under a Democratic president historically has done better than a market under a Republican president. But just so you don't get too concerned, it doesn't matter if it's a Democrat or a Republican. Historically, the market's always going up as long as someone is sitting in the Oval Office. The most important stat, Bob, we can never discount. Chris, one more about the election. The betting markets on the whole did a better job than the opinion polls in forecasting the November 3rd election. They were far more subdued on a Biden win. And what this reminds me of, Chris, is the same thing as betting on stocks. The stock market assimilates all available information about the future profitability of publicly traded companies, probably why professional managers typically can't beat their respective indexes, kind of like the pollsters can't beat the betting markets. Well, professional managers are human and they're ordinary people trying to do extraordinary things. And just like the three of us and everybody else out there, No one has a crystal ball. And as the market has shown us time and time again, it's smarter than all of us. Even Bob. So Bob, all European government bonds due in two years or less have a negative interest rate. The total of all negative yielding global bonds have again reached $17 trillion, equaling their high from earlier this year. That's a lot of money earning more than nothing, Bob. You know, guys, I've been teaching you about investing your whole life. And the one thing I never taught you to do was to lend money where you're guaranteed to lose interest, right? Where you have to pay the lender for the opportunity, the privilege to pay them. In addition, you're lending money to European sovereign governments. I can't think of a country that's more secure than the good old US of A. So you know what? Germany and France and Italy, you're not getting a dime of my money or my client's money. If I'm going to buy a government bond, it's going to be a US 
treasury bond. Yeah, why would I ever pay less to own an Italian bond? (laughs) It just seems insane to me, even though they have great leather shoes they make, but that's another story altogether. So Chris, e-commerce exchange traded funds have had a huge run this year, gaining anywhere between 50 and 90%. And now all trade for more than 30 years worth of profits. A lot of good news priced into those stocks like Amazon. Well, right. I think we can all agree that probably points to a slightly, actually, I would say heavily overvalued area of the market. So Bob, 5G phone sales are expected to reach 500 million units next year, up from 200 million units this year. Wow. Yeah, wow, right. So I don't know the difference between 5G or 4G, but I tell you one thing I guarantee, I'm not going to be one of those 500 million new phone sales because I'm sticking with my flip phone. (laughs) The StarTech from the uh, late 90s, Bob. I like it. Chris, the Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index has returned an average yield return of 8% since 1981 due to interest rates declining from 15%, remember those days, Bob, to essentially 0% today. Well, that's a really interesting fact, Ry, considering that only one of us on this call has been through a bond bear market in their lifetime. We've essentially been in a bond bull market since 1981. So essentially, if rates really start to go up here, I don't think we're going to be seeing those 8% returns anytime soon. That's right, because interest rates go up, bond prices go down. It's very important to remember in your bond portfolio. You know, guys, I always tell you that I have all this gray hair, you know, raising the two of you. But as it turns out, some of this happened when I owned bond funds in the 80s, and I got killed when those interest rates went higher. Yeah, bond buyer beware. So, Bob, the recent stampede in global stock exchange traded funds has pushed year-to-date inflows to above $400 billion. That makes 2020 only the second year in which exchange-traded funds or ETFs have crossed that milestone. You know, Rise, you always tell me there's old-school investing and there's new-school investing. Of course, you know, you're Gen X, Chris is millennial, I'm the old dog, baby boomer, you know, who can't get out of his way. But I'll tell you one thing, I caught on to ETFs a long time ago. Low cost, tax efficient, and good performance. People are finally catching on. And Bob, you are absolutely avant-garde on exchange traded funds. You started getting into them 20 years ago, way above the trend or way ahead of the trend. So I got to say, you know, you've always been a man of the future. Dad, you know, I've always thought of you as kind of a renaissance man of the investment world. And even after all these years, that still hasn't changed. All right, gentlemen, what a great show today. And if you like our content, you dig our content, please feel free to subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, any topics you want us to talk about, please leave a comment below. We'd love to have the discourse and we love ideas for our podcast. Again, great show today, guys. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at bebullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.